The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you so much for joining us online today. Uh, We are jumping back into the Gospel of Luke. Finally, we've taken a two-month break from it. Uh, We had our Advent series. We did our Focus series. Both of those were incredible, but we still have some work to do in the Gospel of Luke. And I do not by any means expect you to remember where we were at, but we are in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, What we saw happen in our last sermon from this book, what we saw was Jesus was talking to a rich young ruler who came up to him with a very, very simple question. He said, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? This man thought he had it all put together, but he was humble enough to ask the question, what else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds in this way. So we're going back to the last message, Luke chapter 18, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still just lack one thing, the one thing you need to do. You need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then you can come follow me. Sell everything you have, you'll have treasure in heaven, then come be my disciple. Now, this is not true for everyone who wants to follow Jesus. This is true for this man. This man asked a specific question and was given a specific answer based upon his heart, because God knows our heart. So Jesus knew this man's heart and said, I need you to get rid of the one thing that is standing between you and my heavenly father, and that is your wealth. Your wealth is the problem. Your wealth is your idol. We all, all are subject to idols. For this man, it was his money. God demands to be in the number one place in your life. He wants that position. He wants that pedestal. Nothing else can take that. And so Jesus, knowing what this man's number one was, he asked this rich young ruler to sell everything. And the rich young ruler walked away saddened because he had great wealth and he couldn't do that. He couldn't put God number one. Jesus was not enough for him. And today our passage really looks at what does it mean for Jesus to be enough? Is Jesus enough for you? And all the other things and all the other aspirations and desires, is Jesus enough for you? So we'll begin in verse 24 and 25 of Luke chapter 18. Here's what Jesus says next. After that man walked away, here's what Jesus says. Jesus looked at him as he was walking away and said, how hard is it for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God? Verse 25, indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, you may or may not have ever heard this passage before, but it is a startling passage for those of us who live in America. And I'm not saying everyone watching this is rich, but compared to the rest of the world, we are very wealthy. And Jesus is saying it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to inherit eternal life. That's a huge statement. So we need to unpack that. First of all, we need to unpack the illustration. What is Jesus trying to say? 
If you go to the Holy Land and take a tour of Jerusalem, there will be tour guides who try to point out a gate, the main gate into the city of Jerusalem. And they will say, this is the gate that Jesus was referring to when he says the eye of a needle. And in the evenings, it was said that that gate would be shut and there would be a small opening, okay, for people to go in and out. But the main gate would be shut. And they called that opening the eye of a needle because it was much smaller than the main huge gate. A camel would have to literally crawl on its knees to get through the gate. A camel was the largest animal in Palestine at that time. So there are some who will say that what Jesus is referring to here is that, a camel hunching down on its knees to squeeze through a man-sized hole. That's what some will say. This was originated in the 11th century. And I think this folklore, and I think that's what it is, was derived from Jesus' words here. Okay, so we don't hear this story until, the, uh, until a thousand years after Jesus died. That is probably not what Jesus is referring to. Instead, what Jesus is saying is the smallest opening anyone can think of in their common place, common world, is the eye of a needle. The largest animal that they can think of in their just commonplace, common thought is a camel. So a camel getting through the smallest opening would be impossible, would be impossible. And so that is what I think Jesus is saying. It's impossible for a wealthy person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so then I just said, we're all really wealthy. What, what do we do with that? If we have houses for our cars and we call them garages and there's other people that don't have houses for themselves, how, how, do, we, how do we get into heaven? I, I think we need to keep reading. I think it's very important to see the next question from the audience because you might be having that exact same question. That same question of, hey, um, if that guy can't get in, that, that rich, young, successful, blessed man, if he's not getting into heaven, then how in the world can I? If, if he doesn't have what it takes, then, then what do I need to do? If, if I'm not as good as him, then, then who gets in? Have you ever played that game? Have you ever played the God game, the comparison game, the thief of all joy game? Have you ever played that where you go, well, I think they're in, and I'm not as good as them. So if they're in, then I, I'm not. Or if for sure, if they're not in, then there's no chance that I will ever get to be in. Here's what is asked next in verse 26. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Who, who if he's out, and it's impossible for a rich person to enter, who can be saved? If a rich person can get to heaven, what chance does a poor person have? Because in the first century in Jerusalem, it was, it was seen that wealth was a blessing from God. And if the blessed people can't get in, then the poor people sure can't get in. And I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to say, but that's what they're hearing. If this guy isn't good enough without selling everything that he has, then, then what do we need to do? And I think the answer that Jesus comes back with will shock his listeners for sure, and may even shock you. Verse 27, Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is very possible with God. 
what man can't do on their own, what people can't do on their own, God does all the time. God does the impossible. That's who he is. That's what he does. With man, nothing he does is good enough. Hear this, church. Nothing you do is good enough to earn you eternal life. It just, it just won't happen. You can't be rich enough, good enough. You can't even be poor enough. If the opposite of rich is what it means, you can't be poor enough to save yourself. It is only by God through faith. Here's what Jesus is saying. For man, salvation is impossible. But with God, even the impossible is possible. Salvation is possible for all, those who trust, those who believe. Don't strive to be something or do something that you cannot attain. Don't strive to be saved and that I'm going to earn it on my own. Instead, just believe I can't do that myself. It's impossible for me, but with God, it is very possible. This is a very frequently overlooked theological statement. We limit God. We limit God by our own understandings. I I can't fathom how that's possible. I can't fathom how someone's saved. I can't fathom eternity. I can't fathom these things. So therefore, I, I don't accept them. That's a very dangerous way to live because you're not God. And he is. And he does the impossible. How can I be saved? I'm this. I'm that. There's no way that God will give me eternal life. God does the impossible. There's other examples that I think that we show in our life. These are examples of things that we believe to be impossible. And then God says, no, with me, they're very, very possible. Prayer is one. We talked about that just last week. We talked about prayer and how heaven comes to earth to move on our behalf. And in our own small minds, we're like, that's not possible. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's not possible for us to just say, Heaven, come on down here. But God hears our prayers and says, Heaven, go move. Go work. There's no way that by us giving, we will be blessed. If I give away my money, I won't have it anymore. That's how we see it. That is logical. That is real. But God says, no, 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 no. What what you have is what I've already given to you. When you give it away, I will replace it. I'll bring it back to you so that you can give it away again. You don't have to worry about that. What is impossible for us, like by giving away money, we're going to get it back. That's impossible. But God says, no, that's that's just how I work. That's, That's what I do. When we think of sickness being beaten by prayer alone, we're like, this is not how it works. I mean, there's got to be some other factor involved. And God goes, I know. For you, you can't just... Think hard enough for a sickness to go away, and it goes away. But with me, it's very possible. You ask me to move, and and that's exactly what I do. For some, you're sitting here listening to this, and you're going, you know, my marriage cannot be reconciled. It's impossible. It's beyond gone. And for you, for your spouse to change, for you to change enough for the marriage to be reconciled, it probably is impossible But don't forget, church, with God, nothing is impossible. The hardest heart can be changed. The toughest situation can be adjusted. With God, nothing is impossible. How can this church make a difference in our community? We're one of many churches and there's too many problems. How can it work? How can it happen? I don't know. I don't know. 
But God does. Because with him, nothing is impossible. That joy that I see others having, that's just simply not available to me. Maybe it's a mental health issue. Maybe it's a, a life circumstance. But you're going, I just can never have the joy that I see in that person. And you think it's impossible. And God says, no, no, no. I, I bring that joy. I am the giver of that joy. With me, nothing is impossible. And then finally, just like the rich young ruler asked, eternal life. How, how do I know that I know that I know? How do I know that when I breathe my last, I will be with Jesus? Eternal life just seems impossible. And with you, it is. You can do nothing to earn it. But with God, once again, nothing is impossible. He can do what he wishes because he is God. And what he wishes to do is to bring you hope and life and joy and eternity. That's his greatest desire for you. But you must believe and trust that he is the one that can do it. With man, these things are impossible. With God, they are not. God majors in all of these things. And as Peter is the first to really start to then process this conversation, and Peter's the one who loves to talk, so he responds quickly in this moment, going as the rich young ruler is still walking down the street, completely distraught. He's so sad that he didn't get what he wanted. Peter goes, oh, wait, 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 Jesus, I, I, have, I have a thought. Verse 28, Peter said to him, we, right here, your disciples, we've left all we had to follow you. We've left it all. We have nothing left. So if, if that's the key to eternal life, I, I want to make sure that I'm getting points for this because we left it all. The rich young ruler, he wouldn't give up his stuff, but we did. We gave up all of our stuff. Our fishing careers, they're gone. The boats, who knows where they are on the Sea of Galilee? They're, they're out there maybe being used by someone else. We know for a fact that Peter had a mother-in-law, so that means at some point he had a wife. That wife is never mentioned again, so he left his family to follow Jesus. We have no more revenue. We have no more savings. We're just trusting in you, Jesus. And we're working every day to feed ourselves so that we can further the gospel, so that we can be here with you. We gave it all up. That's what we did. That has to be what you're talking about with the other guy. He wouldn't do it, but we did it. You might expect Jesus at this point to respond negatively, to kind of squelch Peter's pride that seems to be welling up right now. Hey, he wouldn't do it, but I did. We did. We're, we're in, Right? But instead, Jesus responds with hope. Here's, here's his response. Verses 29 and 30. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left their home, their wife, brothers or sisters, parents or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God. And Peter's like, check, 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 check. Yes, did all that. Verse 30, none of them will fail to receive Many times as much. There's a lot of debate about what that is. In some versions, you might see a hundred times. It doesn't say that. It just says many times as much. Literally, the most simple translation is more. No person who's done that will fail to receive more in this age, in this life, right now. No one will fail to receive more than they gave up in this age and in the age to come, they will receive eternal life. Now, Luke 
fails to record one additional blessing (laughs) that comes from giving up everything that Mark did record. So remember, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, they all record the life of Jesus. They all pick up slightly different things. And Mark adds just this one additional thing that I think is important. Mark chapter 10, verse 30. You've given up homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. Along with, okay, you will receive persecutions in this age to come in eternal life. So you'll receive persecutions and in this age, I can't read that, eternal life will come. So there are three things, okay, three promises that are seen when we put the two accounts together. Here's what they are. The first promise is fulfilled within the body of Christ. Jesus declared, if you gave up, if you gave up your family, your home, if you walked away from all that, you will receive more. How can he say you'll receive more family? Because Jesus declared in Mark 3.35 that the those who follow him, those who are children of God, are now part of the family, those who do the will of God. So your new family is the church. That's how you can say, if you walked away from your old family, you're going to get more family now. He also says that you'll be given the fields back that you walked away from. In their case, the fishing boats. You'll be given a new job, a new purpose. And what is that? It's a mission. You'll be given a mission to accomplish. And then it is Mark alone who adds, and you'll also be given persecution. That's going to come with following me because people are going to declare that you are radical and they are going to take that out on you. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. If the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. I've called you to something new. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours as well. You're going to get back the family in the fields. You're going to be persecuted. But the third promise is the promise of eternal life. If you turn down the things of this world, if you do not allow them to become idols, then that third promise, and that's the great one, that's the reward, that is eternal life. So church, here's the question. I'm not saying it's a simple one, but here is the question. What would happen in your life if you believed that Jesus was enough? What would happen if you believed that Jesus was enough? You didn't need anything else. Well, walking backward through those promises, one, you would be saved. You would have eternal security instead of constant doubt. You would know when you take your last breath. You would know that you know that you know that you are going to spend eternity with God. If you were able to say no to the things of this world and yes to Jesus, to declare him enough, you would have that. Your purpose would change. We know that. Your purpose would change. Your life's intent would change. It would be no longer about building your own kingdom, but instead about building the kingdom of God. You would be called radical because you're living a countercultural life. And people don't like that. They don't like people that push the boundaries. So you will be hated by some. You will be ridiculed by some. You will be persecuted. That will come. And then finally, going back to the first promise, 
you'll leave it all behind. You'll leave it behind and it'll be okay. Because money will no longer be an idol. You could have truckloads of money. You could be incredibly rich, but it wouldn't be the thing that drives you. You wouldn't care. You you could have millions and millions of dollars in the bank, but it wouldn't matter to you. That wouldn't be the thing that sustains you. That wouldn't be the thing that gives you hope. Money would no longer be your idol. You could be dirt poor or incredibly rich. Money doesn't matter. Jesus is all that matters. Money no longer has a negative effect. Your job wouldn't define you. Instead, Jesus would define you. Because he's what you need. He is enough. And because you're totally satisfied in him, you'd stop worrying as much. And you'd live in peace. Hey world, bring it on, come what may. I'm good because I've got him. You would want the rest of the world to know what you know. That would be your mission. And you would know that Jesus is enough. And with him, you have more than enough. And as we say here at Summit Church, you would live in such a way as to embody the truth that God is in control and Jesus is enough. And that is a truth that we all need to embrace. For the rich young ruler, it was too much for him. He needed his wealth and God. And God says, nope. You don't get both. You can't serve two masters. You get one or the other. Is Jesus enough for you? Father, I pray today that that statement would be answered with an affirmative yes. That your son and the sacrifice that he made, the life that he laid down, the the hope that he brought, the eternity that he ushered in, I pray that that would be enough for us to say to everything else the world offers, no, we don't have to have that as long as we have you. I pray that you move in your Holy Spirit through the lives of those whose faith is hurting, for those who are themselves hurting, that you would come and bring comfort, compassion, grace, that you would show them the strength that you can provide, and that they would turn and put their faith and trust in you. God, may we follow you every day of our life. We need you. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.